On this week's show, in the news, we have Texas bureaucrats trying to limit doctors from prescribing life-saving drugs. We'll also hear about whether you'll be tracked by your local government officials and what businesses you visit. And we'll touch on a resignation at the center of the state's fight over mail-in ballots. For this week's interview, we have comedian Tim Young to talk about his travels across the nation amidst the coronavirus shutdown. And do we even need a legislature? Empower Texas CEO Mike Quinn Sullivan asked that question in this week's commentary. Welcome back for this week's episode of Texas Scorecard Radio. I'm your host, Tony McDonald. You can find us on the web at www.texasscorecard.com. Of course, if you're catching this on the radio, we also go out as a podcast. You can find us on all the major podcasting platforms. I want to get started with this week's top news. I've got Robert Montoya, the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. Uh, Robert, you've got a big story. Uh, doctors fighting back against bureaucrats, legislators getting involved, coming to well, maybe not to the rescue, but certainly to, to the aid of these folks. Uh, tell us what's going on. Uh, yes, Tony. So uh, I spoke with uh, Dr. Yvette Lozano, who has her own clinic, Lozano Medical Clinic, and she had told me that um, she's been treating patients at her clinic who have COVID-19, the Chinese coronavirus, and she had learned from a press conference by President Donald Trump about a possible treatment for it, hydroxychloroquine and Zithromax. And she started prescribing her patients it. And when she did, she ran to a brick wall from uh, the Texas Pharmacy Board. Apparently, they had passed rules saying that um, it's required for pharmacists to ask for a written diagnosis with prescription, which she found was outrageous. Yeah, there, there's apparently some concerns that this is violation of HIPAA, the laws that protect uh, the privacy rights of patients, uh, that this weird emergency rule put in place uh, by the pharmacy board is kind of prying into the doctor-patient relationship. Yes. And, you know, Dr. Lozano, what she did in response, she reached out to State Senator Bob Hall. And we contacted Senator Hall, and he told us that he had spoken with uh, Dr. Lozano and conducted his own investigation and found that, you know, not only did the pharmacy board pass a rule like that, but also, as a result of this rule, pharmacists were denying uh, prescriptions for hydroxychloroquine if they weren't prescribed for the on-label FDA use, which does not include um, the Chinese coronavirus. Yeah, this has gotten a lot of attention. This is an old anti-malarial drug and, and antibiotics and other uh, drugs that, that doctors are familiar with uh, that apparently, uh, you know, anecdotally can be used to treat uh, the coronavirus. Uh, but yeah, obviously these things have not been through tests. You know, they haven't gone through the years and years of FDA process to be approved. And so there's been this weird reaction where it's uh, doctors saying, well, we can't use that because it hasn't been officially tested. seems like that's what the pharmacy board was doing here in Texas. Yes. And Senator Hall convened a meeting with the pharmacy board where he told them that, you know, it is perfectly normal for doctors historically to prescribe medications for use other than what the FDA puts on its label. And the pharmacy board said, well, we were worried that there was going to be a run on the drug that you know was going to run out if it was used for coronavirus as well. And Senator Hall countered saying, look, you could have done that just having a two-week uh, limitation on how much the drug can be dispensed instead of adding this rule. And yeah. fortunately, at the end result of Senator Hall's in, uh, involvement, the pharmacy board finally backed down 
while they're still requiring pharmacists to request a written diagnosis with prescription, um, there's no longer a block where it can't be used for anything other than what the FDA has approved on the label. Yeah, good news there and and a a good story of folks kind of asking questions and pushing back against the bureaucracy, working with uh, their elected representatives uh, to try and clear that up. Uh, Very interesting story, Robert. Thank you very much and uh, appreciate it. And everyone just stay tuned. This is going to be an interesting ride. Well, at the same time as we have state bureaucrats doing inappropriate things, we have local government officials doing inappropriate things. Uh, To hear about that, let's talk to Jacob Asmussen with the Central Texas Bureau Uh, Jacob, tell us about these uh, policies in Austin. They want to track everyone. Tell us about it. Yeah. So Austin's mayor, Steve Adler, has a new order for businesses. Uh, Collect contact information and track every customer that comes in your door or else face public punishment. (laughs) Okay. So uh, they want a comprehensive tracking database of everyone who visits every business. And then there's going to be some kind of name and shame sort of thing if you don't do it. Yeah. So here's the details, right? For businesses and restaurants with a capacity of 75 or less, the mayor wants them to keep an activity log of every customer. And that means collecting contact info for every customer that comes in your door and even tracking where they sit in in your location. It's it's but it's these people have never run a business. So they, it's, it almost feels as if they've never been to a business, but they've obviously never run a business. Um, obviously this is kind of crazy and it's kind of been called that. Uh, by Attorney General Ken Paxton, who uh, sent Adler a letter uh, on this subject. That's right. A.G. Paxton called his order, uh, quote, unlawful and Orwellian even. (laughs) And even more, the Austin mayor kind of sent a veiled threat if businesses didn't follow his order. The order isn't mandatory, right? But if businesses don't obey, uh, the mayor says that Austin public health can, quote, without limitation, and in its discretion, basically publish names of businesses that Austin Public Health deems were exposed to the coronavirus. So basically, if you don't follow the order, you could be publicly put on a hit list. Yeah, so this is what's going on in Austin, but there are uh, more of this going on around the state. Apparently, Paxton's letter, not just to Adler, but also to some of the other major urban areas saying, hey, you're, you're still not following state policy on all this coronavirus stuff. Right. And we're seeing that across the state throughout this whole coronavirus situation is local officials are using their emergency powers and just kind of running wild, um, (laughs) enacting all of these edicts um, to kind of do whatever they want. And so the state officials are having to to rein them in. uh, um, And, uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's a really concerning trend. Right. Um, Because. We're just seeing what these local officials are doing, given extended power. Yeah. Well, thank you for keeping an eye on them. And uh, we'll have to continue to keep watch as uh, some of these officials go out of control. Thanks for your reporting, Jacob. Thanks, Tony. Finally, let's turn and talk to Aaron Anderson. Aaron, you and I have been talking about 
the ongoing conflict between local officials and the attorney general's office, uh, particularly between Republicans and Democrats, over expanded mail ballots uh, in the midst of this coronavirus shutdown. Uh, and now there's a very interesting resignation of one local official down in Harris County. It's a very curious timing to it. Well, that's right, Tony. Uh, Harris County's top election official, Democrat County Clerk Diane Trotman, just tendered her resignation on Saturday after about a year and a half in office. Now, her office, her tenure has been uh, peppered with a variety of mistakes, but most recently, she's been a leading proponent of expanding uh, voting by mail to uh, all voters in the county, uh, claiming fear of the coronavirus as a disability. Yeah. Now this has brought her into conflict. This is a lot of these uh, big, big urban local officials have been pushing this. Democrats have been pushing this uh, and the AG's office saying, hey, this isn't lawful. And there's a conflict that's going on there. Um, but you've identified something that's very interesting, uh, very curious timing of this resignation vis-a-vis a complaint that has been filed that actually gets at the issue of mail-in ballot fraud. Well, that's right, Tony. In addition to the uh, attorney general's warning uh, for county officials not to uh, promote this uh, this lawless uh, mail ballot expansion, um, a local activist in Harris County, Colleen Vera, was uh, digging into mail ballot harvesting back in the 2018 election. She uncovered some very uh, persuasive evidence that she submitted to the Secretary of State's office, and they have now Uh, just two days before Diane Trotman resigned, uh, announced they were forwarding uh, those findings to uh, the Attorney General for investigation. And in amongst all the the documented uh, ballot harvesting was uh, a note that uh, then-candidate Diane Trotman had uh, spent campaign cash uh, to hire a convicted forger to work on her campaign. So not not uh, not a good look on the county's uh, top election official to be supporting a forger in the midst of a ballot harvesting uh, complaint while also pushing for expanded mail balloting. <laughs> I mean, it, it's very suspicious. Obviously, she's citing uh, personal reasons, uh, personal health reasons as the justification for the resignation. But uh, very curious timing there on her own involvement in this potential scandal and something that uh, I'm sure you'll be keeping an eye on and that uh, our listeners will want to check out as we move forward. Very, very interesting stuff. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Tony. Texas Scorecard Radio is a project of Empower Texans. At texasscorecard.com or empowertexans.com, you can find more news and daily updates from all around the Lone Star State. You can also find updates from Empower Texans and Texas Scorecard on Facebook and Twitter and follow Empower Texans on Instagram. Texas Scorecard's News Digest goes out weekly via email with occasional updates throughout the week. Subscribe online and find more information at empowertexans.com. Someone's always keeping score. We think it ought to be the taxpayers. Well, this week, it's great to have on our our friend, comedian Tim Young, host of the No Things Considered podcast uh, and syndicated columnist. Uh, Tim, most people are kind of burrowed away in their homes uh, during all of this uh, coronavirus shutdown, uh, but you've actually been out and about seeing the country uh, as, as things are going on, have a very unique perspective. Yeah, I uh, I didn't want to be locked down in D.C., which is one of the more stringent places to be locked down. And so I pitched an idea to 
to travel the country and, and learn about people um, and learn how people are responding to uh, Corona and uh, and mainly the stay at home orders and uh, got on the road, drove so far, I believe I've clocked about 5,000 miles. Wow. And uh, I'm, I'm actually, this is the, the longest I'm staying in one place. I'm staying in Dallas for about two weeks right now. And then uh, I'm headed to Los Angeles next. It looks like I'm going to go to Los Angeles and then travel the country by train uh, all the way back. So it's going to be very interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, you made a <clears throat> drop into Austin, obviously up in Dallas now, but I mean, you've been all over North Dakota, South Dakota, Midwest areas. Um, and there's a common theme. You touched on this in a, a really, I, I really enjoyed it. A, a column in the Washington times last week, uh, you know, common theme here of, you know, it's, it, it really feels like an overreaction in policy in many of these places um, and certainly people are hurting uh, as a result of this policy. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable to me that there are certain parts of this country, especially, um, so let's just, I'll just tell you a, a couple of different stories from places I've been. Uh, you know, I went up to Minot, North Dakota, about 90 minutes, maybe a little bit less than that from the Canadian border. And in the entire county that Minot is in, uh, there are 13 cases of uh, COVID total, total. And I, I look at that and... They 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 have stay at home orders. They have non essential businesses shut. It doesn't make any sense. Um, you know, you go to uh, Rapid City, uh, Rapid City, South Dakota. So South Dakota, uh, of course, uh, Christy Nome kept the state open, but certain uh, areas can close if they if they want to. Um, and Rapid City is one of those towns, one of the biggest towns in South Dakota. They decided to shut down, and their county had uh, twelve total cases and ten recoveries, and they were shut down. So I take a look at that, and it's just bad policy at this point. You know, when we start taking a look at the numbers, and I didn't talk about this in my article, you know, I, I, you're seeing people really hurting. They don't know if their businesses are going to reopen, um, and it, it's just sad. But then when you take a look at the, the actual numbers that are coming through now, where we see that a third of all deaths are from nursing homes. Uh, you know, we're not talking about the recovery numbers. We're seeing, a, you know, half of all of the cases or more are in New York City. When you see all of this stuff, it, it makes literally no sense. You know, I, I went into uh, Grand Island, Nebraska, and Grand Island, Nebraska is shut down. Grand Island, Nebraska, I think maybe peaked at like 100 cases in the entire uh, county that they're in. And, and you take a look at this stuff and you're like, this is just bad policy. This was overblown. We were told millions of people were going to die. It didn't happen. And rather than correct for that, because I, I don't think the politicians want to make, uh, want to admit that they were wrong. They're going to continue with this and say that it's working, even though the, the virus basically never got to these parts of the country. Yeah, you know, the, the whole logic is, oh, we have to flatten the curve. But what you're, you talk about in these places, you have a population over 100,000 and some of these, you know, these are major cities for their area, but they're not, you know, uh, uh, metropolises like New York City, uh, but they're major cities with, with relatively few cases and you say, well, the goal is to flatten the curve, but but there is no curve. There's it's it's not even a blip. Uh, whenever you look at it on a chart, yeah, and, and people forget what flatten the curve meant. I mean, over and over again, people think that we have to wait to eliminate the virus. That wasn't the point. The point was to make sure hospitals weren't overrun. And you watch these videos over and over again of uh, of you know uh, you know they, they say they don't have enough PPE. They say everything is going to be overrun, and you've got nurses doing dance routines on TikTok and PPE. You've got uh, nurses now, I believe 277 different uh, hospital systems have had to lay off nurses uh, and, and medical professionals during this time. Um, and, and, you know, they're not even allowing elective surgeries, which two months ago, elective surgeries were elective. 
And and when people, stupid people hear elective surgery, they go, oh, that means, you know, plastic surgery or something. No, elective surgery uh, is every every type of major surgery that just you, you have to schedule. So you've got heart surgeries, you've got cancer surgeries, you've got, you know, major, major problems that people cannot get fixed because it's elective and, and now it's turning into emergency surgeries. And, and I don't doubt that the numbers we see even from that, uh, I bet you we've lost people to, due to heart uh, complications at least. Well, we, we, we had a tragic, uh, got an email and I won't say the guy's name or, you know, go too much detail, but we got an email from a gentleman, really tragic story saying that his father, uh, I believe it was his father, had uh, some kind of colon cancer and it was detected pretty late. It was the kind of thing that typically would have been treated with um, surgery. And the doctors, because of the coronavirus, just shut down and all the policies imposed, said, well, you know, we're not going to do, we can't do surgery. Let's try and treat it with medication. And then he promptly died. I mean, just because it didn't work. Uh, and, and you go, well, maybe he would have died anyway. Who knows? But um, it, it's clear that it's affecting people's medical decisions and that there are you know, these immense un- unforeseen consequences. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable to me that like, you know, we, we can only focus on one issue in the world right now and it's coronavirus. And um, you, the, the fact that you ignore everything else that's going on and all the other medical issues and all the other things that are, that are killing people. I think I, I haven't seen an article on the numbers yet here in America, but I saw in, um, I think it was like Winnipeg, they had 35 heart related deaths um, because people couldn't get their elective surgeries. So like this is happening here. I mean, and, and, and just, it's, it's turning out that this policy was just bad. I mean, the, the concepts of shutting down things on, on their face are questionable, whether or not the government can do that. So, you know, it, I think yeah. we made a big mistake is, is yeah. what this is coming down to. Well, and that's what you're, you know, that's what you're seeing, you know, from the, the pain that people are feeling in, in businesses and in their homes. So obviously you're traveling the country um, and many of the hotels and things are shut down. So I, you know, my understanding, understanding is you're, you're staying with uh, friends, family, you know, people that, you know, uh, in these places, uh, what do you see and how's it affecting their lives, you know, on the, on the home front? Actually hotels are open. Um, which is kind of wild when you go to a hotel and there's four people in the entire hotel and you got your own floor or floors are shut down. That's been kind of a fun experience. Hmm. Uh, and one of the hotels I stayed in, uh, I had to sign a document that, you know, was like, are you essential or uh, do you have uh, COVID or whatever? And I always like, I always like the, the people that are like, do you have it? Don't, you know, and they have a little sign on the door. Don't come in if you feel sick. Nobody's going to pay attention to that. It doesn't make a difference, but um, you know, it's very interesting. I've, I've been staying with a family here in Dallas and, uh, couple other families, people are, I, I think when you have kids, you don't have time to be depressed or think about it or be overwhelmed. But, uh, <laughs> um, you know, just th- to think about where things shift, like, or how things have shifted. Like, I mean, so say you're not, say you're an essential employee or you can work from home or however you want to do it. And you have kids. Like, I mean, that you have to teach your kids at the same time. You're still like putting them through your, their school lessons and like watching everything. You have to have an extra set of hands. This is like overburdened uh, American families because at the end of the day, one of the reasons that there is school and you realize this when you, when you stay with a family, like I am now with four kids, um, you know, part of the, the school thing is that the, the state watches your kids. I mean, granted they educate you, but they watch your kids during the day so that you can go and make a living. And this is just, 
completely shifted that. So it makes it makes life even harder for anybody who has kids, like significantly harder. Like I, I would say, I mean, at the least four times harder per kid. Uh, and then that goes exponential when you've got a family. I think the kids here in the house are uh, five, seven, 11 and 13. And so um, that's, that's what my piece is actually going to be on this week is the, like, I don't think that policymakers remember what it was like to have kids or uh, didn't have kids. And uh, you know, a lot of the pundits and journalists who are commenting on this, they don't realize um, what it's like to have multiple kids and, uh, and, and have to deal with this and like be home. Uh, you know, I'm watching the state of Maryland right now um, is debating how they're going to open up school in the fall. And they're saying, well, some kids might do night school. Some kids might do. And it's like, wait a second, you've already heard <laughs> parents like with everything else. And now you're going to shift things around so that they're going to like, I, I mean, you, they're, 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 they're forgetting what they are, which is primarily childcare with an educational component yes. as opposed to, as opposed, you know, Oh, well, night school, well, that doesn't really accomplish the mission of, of what the school is really there to do. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's an interesting, uh, that's, that's very true. Well, what's weird too, is that, you know, kids, Thank God, kids haven't gotten sick from this virus. I mean, kids kids are not dying from this virus, and so um, it is a weird thing where we're okay. You know, maybe it has some broad effects and things, but these are the like kind of least at risk individuals. Yes, and and you know the the interesting thing is too, uh, they you don't hear too much about it about it. it again, they, they, it's a lot of moving goalposts with the 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 conversation with coronavirus, but. You know, immunocompromised people that are that have been living with their their issues, they already protect themselves and they have lived their lives normally for a while. Like, you know, they know, um, you know, to wash their hands and, you know, not touch their face as much. And they know to, you know, socially distance to begin with. I, I have a very good friend of mine who has multiple immuno issues and uh, and she said that her life has not changed at all other than she's forced to work at home now. Um, she she had no problem going out with this. and and. It, it, again, these are this is just the way that these folks have learned to live their lives to begin with. So it wasn't an extra burden on them. This is again, it's a lot of this just seems like brash moves. And now that we're keeping people locked down in areas, that's why I'm very excited to go to uh, Los Angeles uh, next week. I'm going. Uh, I, I want to go see what it's like there because I think that, especially in California, you're especially in these blue states where where people are locked down. Um, you know, Michigan, uh, Illinois they're converting voters to Republican. Uh, I, there's no doubt in my mind. They're, they're saying, hey, wait, Trump is saying it's time to start rolling things open. Our case has never peaked here. We never really had any kind of, or, or it peaked weeks ago. We've never had an overrun hospital. What are we doing? Yeah, it, it, it's been odd. Obviously, a lot of these things have been motivated by fear and, and people are unsure what they, what they want to want, right? But then uh, it, it's been interesting to see this break into a partisan divide. Uh, but even amongst you know the Democrat side, obviously on the Republican side, there are people who go, "Oh, what is it? Pump the brakes. We need to we need to slow everything down." Uh, but on the Democrat side, obviously there are a lot of people who are you know feeling the very real economic pain of not having you know work, not having things to do. Um, I think you may be very right about uh, about them looking at the other side of the aisle. Yeah. No. I, I... You you can't help but like I mean Dewine I think finally got uh, pushed back Dewine was kind of the I would say the crazy one on the Republican side with all this stuff in Ohio, um, but you know you're you're starting to see pushback now too from business which I'm very excited to go check out a couple of the northern counties in California I'm actually going to uh, take trains all the way home I think that'll be kind of fun to do 
or painful. We'll figure it out somewhere in the middle of this. Um, because I think I'm going to be on trains for like 70 hours to get back to Washington, D.C. from Los Angeles. We're going to go all the way up to Vancouver, Washington, and then cross back east. <laughs> but when I go north in California, I want to stop in a couple of those counties that are uh, opening businesses and being threatened by the governor. I mean, you, you go, again, by county by county, like even though the numbers aren't crazy in, in California to begin with, in northern California, there's nothing. There's like no cases. People don't live on top of each other. It's all farmland uh, and vineyards and whatnot. And uh you know, there's no reason that that part of the country is closed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's just the one size fits all uh, mentality. Well, very interesting. We'll have to uh, get an update uh, whenever uh, whenever your choo-choo train uh, ride is, <laughs> is over. Um, but tell folks uh, who want to follow uh, your, your columns, I guess you're doing these uh, regularly, uh, where they can get those. And then obviously you've got the uh, No Things Considered podcast. Where can folks uh, catch that? Yeah. So, uh well, I mean, you can just go to nothingsconsidered.com. I haven't done a podcast in a bit because I've uh, I've been doing for the uh, Washington Times something called On the Road with Tim Young, and the On the Road series has now become, I believe, their most popular thing ever on social media. So, oh, that's awesome! Uh, that's so you can go over to their Instagram and watch that. I'm going to be doing lives on that every week, on top of traveling and and uh, filming my um, my you know progress as things go. So. It'll be pretty cool. Uh, that's a good place to go check it out. And of course, at Tim Runs His Mouth, I was arguing with Mark Cuban yesterday on Twitter. Um, he's an idiot. <laughs> well, go check it out at, at Tim Runs His Mouth and in all of the uh, Washington Times and, and, and podcast stuff. Uh, great stuff, Tim. Thanks for uh, coming on and, and uh, sharing a little bit about uh, what you're seeing out there. Hey, thanks for having me. Hey there, Texas Scorecard Radio listeners. Jim Graham from Texas Right to Life here. And I wanted to quickly hijack the show to remind you that every Tuesday and Thursday at 3 p.m. on the Empower Texans and Texas Right to Life Facebook pages, Empower Texans CEO Michael Quinn Sullivan and I will discuss all the latest news from around the state, country, and world. We don't always stay on topic, but when we do, we're delivering you the news and perspective you need to hold your elected officials accountable. Don't forget the Jim and Michael show every Tuesday and Thursday at 3 p.m on the Empower Texans and Texas Right to Life Facebook pages. Does Texas even need a legislature? They're certainly not acting like it. Empower Texans CEO Michael Quinn Sullivan touches on that in this week's commentary. We've now had the governor of Texas serving as a one-man legislature for nearly 60 days, literally making up vast new laws and regulations, countermanding some, and even throwing out old ones. This goes far beyond any emergency powers for the governor our Constitution and statutes ever contemplated. With this week's Texas Scorecard Radio Commentary, I'm Michael Quinn Sullivan. The state constitution allows a governor to at any time call a special session immediately in 30-day increments. That hasn't happened in Texas during this coronavirus madness, despite the massive scope of change we've seen, the upheaval in life, and the raw assumption of power at so many levels. Consider this. A month ago, rather than appointing a phony strike force made up of donors and lobbyists, Governor Greg Abbott could have called a special legislative session of the constitutional force elected by the citizenry. The legislature could have passed real laws related to pandemic powers and set real plans in motion for reopening Texas. But he didn't. What does Greg Abbott know about the abilities, intellect, and even morals of our legislators that makes them unfit for handling such work? 
Indeed, two special sessions could have been held by now to establish real laws for the lingering crisis. Are we finding we don't actually need a legislative branch with all their pesky drama and hand-wringing and public debates? Since Governor Abbott didn't trust the Texas legislature to act during this crisis, why should Texans ever trust them? Yes, he's been providing them with briefings on his decisions before he tells the public, but that's no different than calls with donors in the media. It's not like they're deciding anything. They are, in fact, most specifically not deciding things, actually. It does make me wonder why our legislators aren't hopping mad that they've been effectively replaced. Maybe legislators just want to be in on the gossip early, rather than exercising their constitutional responsibility to set the state's policies. Frankly, the 150 House members and 31 senators are daily assenting to the irrelevance of their branch of state government. They appear content to cheerlead the governor and repackage his press releases. But their personal contentment isn't relevant. Government derives its power and responsibilities from the consent of the governed. Those who cherish the rule of law should carefully consider the precedent that's being set. Are we content with it? I'm Michael Quinn Sullivan with this week's Texas Scorecard Radio Commentary. Well, that's all I have this week. But before I go, I wanted to ask listeners to pray for Empower Texans President Ross Kessig and his family. Uh, some of you may know Ross has been battling cancer and making a lot of progress, uh, but is taking a temporary uh, hiatus from his duties with the organization to focus on that recovery. Uh, and I know he would appreciate your prayers. Texas Scorecard Radio is brought to you each week as a public service from the Empower Texans Foundation and in partnership with the Lincoln Institute and this station. You can download podcasts from each program and learn more at EmpowerTexans.com.